my passion, the things that I'm really passionate about, I think that's where it, the ideas come from. Welcome to the Idea Generation Podcast, a show about creative entrepreneurship. My name is Noah Callahan-Bever, and each week I'll be speaking with some of the most innovative ideators in culture and trying to figure out how they make their creative decisions. This week I'm talking to Dreamville Records and Entertainment co-founder Ibrahim Hamad about building that brand and the integral role that he played in making J. Cole a superstar. This podcast is brought to you by the good people over at Shopify. Feeling the entrepreneurial itch? Turn your passion into a business with Shopify. They've got everything you need to start, run, or grow your business. Check out shopify.com idea to learn more. In 2006, a St. John student named Ibrahim Hamad had an idea. As he sat down in the Honda Civic of a classmate, the undergrad's ears were unexpectedly flooded by a freestyle courtesy of that very car-owning friend, Jermaine Cole. From that moment on, the Queensbred Hamad dedicated his every effort to realizing the ambition of his best friend's talent. From confidant to A&R to manager to business partner, Hamad grew his role and responsibility in synchronicity with J. Cole's success. Along the way, together they built a label, a festival, an entertainment company, and most importantly, a brand, Dreamville. And it all started with one idea. My family's from Sudan, both my parents, and my, but my dad worked at the UNESCO, which is part of the UN. So I think, I don't remember when he, when he graduated college, he moved to France to kind of get himself situated, then move my mom out. And um, they were there for some years. Then they moved back to Sudan, and that's where my oldest sister and my older brother was born. And then they moved back to France, to Paris, and that's when my older brother ahead of me and then myself and my younger brother was born. And we was there, and um, we moved around a lot young because cause, cause of my dad's job. So it's like we moved to Qatar for like three years, came back to France for another three years, then went to, to Queens. And I thought I always thought that was cool because every summer we were going to stay in Sudan. So it's like, you know, it kind of shaped yeah, the world like, to you. How did that sort of like global experience growing up, you know, uh, oh, change, your, change your worldview? It was huge because I feel like it's funny because we ended up in Queens, which is like the most diverse county in the world. Yeah. But it's like I never felt like there was any like culture or, you know, any person I couldn't like connect with or talk to. You know what I mean? Like I felt like I've seen everything. At a young age, we was flying, you know, all all over, you know, mainly mainly back to Sudan. But you know, I have family that lived in the UK because the thing about people in Sudan, a lot of people they like, you know, once they get asylum, they go to these countries that allow you to come in. So UK was one of those countries. So I have family in Oxford, I have family in Amsterdam, family in Canada. You know, some fam, you know, some family would be in Dubai. So like, just being able to see the world at a young age, it like you knew right away that it was bigger than what was in front of you. And, you know, like, I know that from when I got to America and I knew some friends that had never traveled and their world was just what was in front of them. So for me, I think that helped shape my understanding of people more than anything. And, you know, once you understand people, I feel like you kind of find your way around. I was going to say, you know, you obviously in this encountered all kinds of different people and had to sort of recreate yourself over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Sure. How did that sort of shape, you know, the person you grew into? Well, when I when I got to Queens, after kind of moving around and being in these countries where 
you're always kind of the outsider. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if I'm in Paris, I'm like the kid from Africa. Like if I'm in the Middle East, it's like, you know, you're black. You know, like it's always like you're always kind of the outsider. So when I when I got to Queens, I was for sure the outsider at this point because I'm coming in. I, I got like a French accent probably at the time. You know what I mean? Like I knew English because I went to schools that, that taught English. But like that was when I got there, it was like understanding like, oh, you need to adjust quick. Like ain't nobody here going to wait for you to adjust. And for me, it was um, it was the fact that I played basketball and I learned football quick on the yard, like just being outside of school. And that allowed me to like make friends while I was adjusting to a whole new culture, you know, and and especially when you come into to Queens and to America. My parents are from Sudan. They thinking it's like everybody getting shot left and right. It's mad dangerous. So they like, so, you know, there's all these other rules from just being an immigrant. So, so I think those things taught me when I got there, it taught me like, oh, you have to adjust and you have to kind of figure it out quickly or you can get lost here just being an outsider that, you know, just kind of sits on the outside. How did uh, your parents' professional life sort of inform your ambitions? I mean, I I don't think it in in necessarily like I all I, I what I got to see was my dad working super hard to take care of five kids. He was out there working every day, dropping me off to school, then driving to the city to work, you know, so it's like that gave me an idea of like what it was like to kind of just put everybody else ahead of you. And I feel like my dad did that really well. He put his kids, he put, you know, his wife, everybody ahead of him. Even even when, when we were younger, he had a chance to, like, if I'm not mistaken, like, he turned down being a diplomat out here because he knew, like, once you be, once you take that diplomacy, once your term is over, you get sent back to your country. Oh, yeah. And he was kind of like, well, I don't want my kids to have to go back to Sudan. So I think seeing him kind of, you know, be the head of, of the UNESCO and, and kind of how people treated him when I would go to his office and how he, you know, how he worked hard to make sure the family was all taken care of and my mom, too, that... That taught me, like, more than anything, you know, putting people ahead of you to just kind of make sure everybody's right. So that kind of molded, I want to say, like, my personality in a sense. Because I've always been someone that that wanted to make sure everybody around me was good. You know what I mean? And I think that kind of translated into where my career took me, really. Did they have any sort of uh, career ambitions for you, your parents? Uh, I mean, I I don't want to say that it was like, it wasn't like, you need to be a doctor. You know what I mean? It wasn't one of those, but it was definitely like, you need to go to school and finish school. Cause my brother, my sister ended up kind of following in the same footsteps as my dad and working in the UN. My oldest brother was like a genius, did electrical engineering and was like at a young age, just designing all these buildings in Manhattan, like all these things. And then ended up just being like, I'm good on this. I'm going to just DJ because now I can do what makes me happy and becoming a huge DJ or whatever. But so for me, it was more like just go to school. Like, you know, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I went to school. So it wasn't like there was those conversations like I want to be this. I want to be that. You know, like I played basketball growing up, but I knew I wasn't going to the NBA. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't happening. So I think it was just more so they wanted me to like go to school and do it the right way. That okay. was really the main thing. What, what part of Queens were you growing up in? In Jamaica. So okay. first we was in Fresh Meadows. Yep. And then we moved to like Jamaica States, like right off Hillside. Okay. And um, and that was cool because Jamaica States is a nice neighborhood, but like right down the block is Hillside and all my homeboys live yeah. like literally like a few blocks over and you're like in Jamaica, Queens, you know what I mean? 
And that's where I played ball. That's the parks I went to. So it was cool to kind of get that dynamic of like, you can go down to the corner store and shit happens right on Hillside. And then you could be on a quiet block like where we live. You know what I mean? And, and that was, that was cool. So that's kind of where I was, was like Jamaica States, Jamaica area. So how did you end up going to St. John's? So it's, it's funny cause my, I was playing ball and I was looking at all these schools and I was like, Oh man, I go play D2. I like, you know, like took a visit to like a D2 school and a D3 school, but I really wanted to go to like Georgia State in Atlanta. I just, How come? Just because being from New York, you just wanted to go to school in Atlanta. Like it just seemed like oh, all the girls are there, like it's popping, it's like all the black people are in Atlanta. So I really wanted to go to Georgia State. And um, I was thinking about like, oh, maybe I'll just go and walk on. I reached out to the coach. He's like, yeah, just come try out. But then I was like, man, that shit ain't gonna go nowhere. And my, my oldest brother, he went to St. John's. And um, and I'll never forget it because it was like June or July and I hadn't made a decision on what school I was going to. And school was starting in like a month. But I had like, you know, relatively good grades. I had good SAT. So I told my brother like, yo, I think I want to go to St. John's because it's literally, it's a 10 minute walk from my house. So I was like, at least I know it's there. You know, like I don't, I don't want to go there. I always wanted the experience of like going to a campus and like living on campus and everything. But I was like, at least I know St. John's is here. So my brother connected me with um, the dean from his school, basically, in St. John's. And he was kind of like, oh, if you're Muhammad's brother, then I'm sure you're really smart. And my mom, I'm like, I'm not him. Like, <laughs> do not confuse me with him. He's like, yeah, I'll take care of you. You know, we'll uh, we'll put you through the electrical engineering program. I was not, like, I had no business being there. So, the, so they got me in. But that first semester, like, they put me in, like, a, I think it was like a junior or a senior like calculus class and like or like and then it was a biology class with like a bunch of and I was like nah this ain't gonna work like my first test I don't even want to say what it was but it was really really low <laughs> and I remember being like yo this is like a different language and I was like man you know what I'm in the school I'm gonna figure it out from here and um that that's kind of why I went to St. John's because I knew it was right there I knew it was a good school and I knew I you know I had the relationships to get in when you did that, though, did you have any sort of sense of, like, to what end? Like, was there... No, that's the thing. Like, my whole life, I was just like, you're going to go to school. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I, the... Yeah, I knew I loved two things. I knew I loved sports, mainly basketball, and I knew I loved music. I didn't really have an idea of, like, what I'm going to do in music. So I didn't even think... About, I, when I got to St. John, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take on sports management because I wanted to be, like, a sports agent. Or, you know, one of those yeah. things. Because I really love the sport and I really like, you know, watch it and talk about it and, and, and feel like I have an understanding of it. So I was like, you know, maybe I'd be a sports agent or maybe I'll work at a front office. And um, and as I was in school, like I took some of the classes, but I just, to be honest, it's like when I got to school, it was just lit. I was like, <laughs> I was outside, like, you know what I mean? Just hanging out, like in what we call Marillac was like the cafeteria. Everybody's just hanging out. I was missing classes and I just, I was never as focused. And I think that I knew I, like, I was, I was one of those kids that like, I could take a test and pass it, but I'm, I'm missing the homework or whatever assignments. And, and I feel like I kind of like got lost in that. I kind of got lost in the experience of college more so than like studying. But I also feel like the experience of college is just as important as the books, you know, like the people you meet, the, 
the how, how to be, interact with different people from different places. That taught me so much that lasted through the rest of my life. I was, Did you feel like being from, you know, 10 blocks away, um, you had a certain gravitas or, or advantage, you know, sure. on, on the scene? Yeah, because I knew where everything was at. And like, you know, even to the point of how I met Cole, yeah. like, you know, like when, when we were in school, we started, you know, we were hoop, but like there was like this common hour where all the, all the hoopers that weren't really on the team, and some of the dudes that were on the team would all play. And me and Cole was just like always somehow guarding each other because we were both tall kind of guards. But I didn't really like fuck with him like that. I was just like, I know him. I see him around, cool, whatever. But being that I was from there around like my ju- around his junior year, it was like that's when like he would link with me, go to the parks, like you know, like the local parks and hoop. We would get together and go out, drink, go to the club in the city. You know what I mean? Like, um, or I take him to parties in Queens, and that's really how our relationship started because I felt like he was coming from North Carolina and. Through basketball, he met some of my friends from from Queens, and then like we all, he, you know, he became part of the family basically. So I definitely felt like I had an advantage, even for my friends from Brooklyn. Like they would take me to Brooklyn, we would go party, but when they were in Queens, it was like, oh yeah, I know the spot. We go here, we go here. So it, it was that was the cool part about it because it was like people would come from all over, but it's like now you're in my territory, you know, in yeah. a sense. So for me, it was cool being from there because I understood the lay of the land. Meeting Cole and starting to develop that relationship, at, at what point did you realize that he was a musician and not only a musician, but like a serious musician? I didn't realize it for like, oh, probably like a year. You know what I mean? Because at first, I've seen him like freestyle, like at a talent show. And I was like, oh, whatever, he can rap for sure. But I didn't think like anything of it. And then while we would go out, I think one day I jumped in his car and like he had like um, a song playing. It was... um. It was the Grammy Grammy family freestyle that he had. I'm like, oh, what the fuck is this? He was like, oh, that's my shit. Oh, he was about to turn it off. I'm like, bro, this is crazy. Like, yeah. I didn't know you rap rap. He's like, yeah, but, you know, I don't really tell people because, you know, that's just cold mindset. He was always like, I don't want to tell people. And then I look like I'm just one of these other guys that's just rapping. Like, now nah, I'm, I'm going to get signed and then I'm going to show everybody. And I was kind of like, I respect that, but it don't really work like that. Yeah. Like, you kind of have to, you know, let people know or start putting something out. And I had no, obviously no experience. And even at the time, I didn't think like, oh, I'm going to manage this kid or I'm going to be a part of this kid's career. It was like, yo, this is my friend. So what what do you do if you believe in your friend? You just try to like help him out. You know what I mean? And the first thing I was doing is like, I would ride around with the songs. Even, I mean, he does it today, but even back then it was like, he would give me a song and be like, yo, don't send it to nobody. Like, you know, he was one of those guys, but I would ride around to it. I would play for my homies from, like, back home. We used to work at camp at summer uh, at my old high school, like a basketball camp. And, like, during lunch hour, like, I will play for my boy uh, Trap, my boy Tiny, T.Y., and we just sit in the car and they'd be like, oh, this is hard. Who's this? I'm like, Jermaine. And everybody would be like, oh, light-skinned Jermaine, because they know him from playing ball. So I was just trying to, like, help him. You know what I mean? So, and my thought was, like, if I'm going to tell 10 people, I'm telling 100 people. So if I believe in it, and I love the music and it connects with me. At that point, it's just like a badge of honor to tell someone like, yo, listen to this. And then they're like, oh, this is dope. Whether whether you know them or not, like there was nothing like putting someone on the music. And that's really all I was doing is, is putting people on. But then I convinced them like, yo, we should put a mixtape together, which was the come up. Because I was like, yeah, you want to get signed, but people have to know. People have to like 
know that you made this music. So that's kind of like the start of our work relationship. But even then, it wasn't like management. It wasn't anything. It was just like, yo, let's, you know. Were, were you involved in the uh, the shift in name from therapist to Jacob? That was like, it happened like when, when I knew him, but I wasn't a part of it. He just okay. kind of told me like, yo, I'm going to change. I think he knew like, I did, like his whole explanation was like, I don't want to play a character. You know what I mean? I'm not, a, so J. Cole, that was his name. But um, I was there for it, but that was kind of like his decision. I was like, yeah, that's dope. Like he had a okay. good ring to it. And obviously we all called him Cole. You know, even in college, <laughs> yeah. like, yo, Cole. Like some of us called him, some people called him Maine, but you know, that was one of the names, so. Yeah. And this is when him and Damien and, uh, and Rob are all living together? Yep. So they were all living in Muhammad crib. Okay. And you know, I didn't live too far, so I would walk there. We'll kick it, or he'll come to my crib, like to to the basement and, and my parents' crib, and it was just, you know, it was that was the little community of like Jamaica. I was in Jamaica States; they were in Jamaica. My best friend Ted lived two blocks away from them, so it was like you know we just that was like our little community, our little area. So yeah, they were that's when they were there, which was, if I'm not mistaken, his senior year in college, and by then I had I had basically dropped out of college. You know what I mean? Like, I was still trying to figure it out, but I wasn't at St. John's no more. I had, like, loan problems. Um, So I was just around trying to figure that, figure it out at that point. But, yeah, that was was Damien Rich, Muhammad Crib days. He he brought, Damien brought Cole and and Rob to my crib for, like, a barbecue one one day. I was like, oh, this is my boy Jermaine. He raps. And I was like, oh. So yeah. I remember he like friended me on, on MySpace. That's crazy. Therapist. I'm like, oh, I think your boy just friended me on MySpace. Yeah. Then, then we got the, the mixtape, whatever, like, I don't know, a year later. Yeah. Like, your man could actually really rap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's dope. It's funny, actually, MySpace was a reason why I think, because um, the, <laughs> it's terrible, but the, like, you know how the MySpace is like MySpace slash therapist music. Yeah. But people be like, yo, I think your man's name is the rapist music, and he's <laughs> yeah. like, nice. Nah, he's like, we gotta change that. That's what I, I saw the same because he had it in all caps. <laughs> yeah, so it said like <laughs> therapist, but it, it read the rapist music, and I was like, that's not good. Like you can't. And he was like, yeah, I gotta change that. I think I think he was gonna change it anyway. But that was a that was a funny moment. So when you guys started to think about putting together this mixtape, like, how did you? I mean, you're starting with one fan, two fans, yeah. like three. What was that process of building the fan base? I mean, because at that point, like you said, he didn't talk about it very much. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, you you wouldn't know that he was a rapper. Or- yeah, it was actually fun. As fun. It was the most fun because that's when you got to be the most creative. So we was trying to figure stuff out. So you start with the people around you. But then it's like we hired, we got the guy Pooh that used to like make the, the CD sleeves and cases on Jamaica Avenue to make it. Maybe he's going to like pass it around a couple of weeks. Uh, at the time, we was working with Aristotle and he was like, um, I think he was working on the Sylvia Rome. So we are trying to use those relationships. And I was at the time like a huge Joe Budden fan. So I was like, so we talking about getting a DJ to host it because we was like, maybe if you get a DJ to host it, then more people will hear it. So that's how we got on point. Because okay. it was just like, I was mood music was the thing at the time. And um and we was like, yo, let's just get on point to host it. Maybe we'll get some people that way. Then we would go back to North Carolina. We would go to Auntie Homecoming. Cole's best friend RJ was down there. And they just went to Auntie Homecoming every year. So then we was like, all right, fuck it, let's press up CDs. And everybody's going to be outside. 
the football field, it's homecoming, we'll hand CDs out. And um, and that's when we came up with like, yo, you know what, we're gonna sell these CDs for a dollar. Cause if you ask people for $5, they're gonna be like, I'm not giving you $5. If you give it to them for free, they're gonna just throw it out. Yep. So that was the birth of like a dollar in a dream. Did you guys have like a conversation about the nature of your role or was no, it you just- I was just going. I didn't even faith. wanna have a conversation yep. about it. Cause I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what, I, what my role was. And I didn't know enough about the industry to know like, I need to solidify myself as this. I was, I was, I was actually enjoying myself. <laughs> I was going to the studio, like I'm in the studio in Manhattan with niggas behind the booth. Like I'm like, this is like a movie to me, you know what I mean? <laughs> And uh, so I was just enjoying myself, but but I knew I had a good ear, so I would be able to be like, yo, you had a verse on this song. I mean, you should try it on this beat. And he'll be like, oh, that's dope. Or like, I'll be like, man, we should package these songs together and put a little teaser. Like, it was just understanding what he was trying to do and, and just being there to add to it. And knowing that it's, it's his car, I'm just helping navigate, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not creating an artist. I'm just here to like, kind of like, help you and push you and and maybe like, you know, make the ideas better or come up with ideas. So in the beginning, even for me, I had to learn how to communicate with him. I wasn't thinking about management or what my position was. I just knew I'm a fan of this music. This is my friend. I know he wants to be the greatest and I want to help him get there. However, if it's telling 15 people, if it's telling 100 people, if it's being his A&R, if it's being this, that. So that's how I was looking at it. Do you remember like a specific moment that it hit you that Cole's ambition to be one of the greats might be achievable? I think I think I believed it watching him work early and hearing the music. Because to me, I look at music like the greatest music to me is is it's just about how it connects with people. And it was just so I would I would sit with his music and just listen to it, listen to it. I'm like, man, like I feel this. I feel the same way, but I don't know how to say it. Or Man, I've I've went through this. Like he put it in a way that's like, oh my God, like that's that's how I would say it if I could. I know that when I play this, I can play this next to any rapper that I love that's famous and be like, this is just as good. And then being around him, I knew as well. You know, that's what I, w- I always tell people, even till today. I'm like, if he really believes in something and he wants to get it done, it's like he's gonna find a way. No matter what, like I really believe he'll find a way. So that that taught me to find a way in certain parts. Like, oh, okay, like you just can't give up on certain things. Do you remember the first time you got to see him perform live? Like, did you have apprehension when you announced, like, are people gonna show up? Is this? Well, we we were going to the city to do like open mics. Okay. And I remember because some of my friends at school was like laughing at us, like, open, oh, like, what the fuck are y'all doing? But I just knew, especially at that time, he had the kind of raps that, like. If you're a rap fan, he's going to have lines that's going to make you go, ooh, like, oh, you heard what he said? And that's all you really need in an open mic setting. And it was just fun. It was it was another reason for us to go out, to be honest. Like, yeah, let's go out. They got a bar. Like, we'll have drinks. We'll wait till you go up. And seeing him in those elements, you knew, like, oh, he knows how to really perform. Like, yeah, he's going to have to get better at certain things, but it cuts through. Again, it's like you see people at open mics like, yeah, yeah, they can't look up. You know, he was like, nah, like, you felt the passion. So from the early days, like I knew it. And then we would do, um, like we did like a show at like a little art gallery 
um, on Orchard. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like where I forgot what it was called, but it was like a couple songs, and and then and then there was a moment where um, my boy Matt who's from out here. We call him Cali Matt. He went to school at St. John. We actually worked with us at Dreamville and is now like a publisher at Pulse. He um he had moved back to LA and his homegirl was like, you know, like the head of like the Black Student Association mm-hmm. or something at um, LMU, Loyola Marymount University, something out here. And um, she heard Cole's music through like, she had to share losing my balance on MySpace or something. So she booked him for a show and we had never been to LA and we were broke. She gave him a thousand dollars. He booked my flight and his flight from it. Adam was working in like Merrill Lynch or something at the time. So he had a little money. And uh, we just all went to LA. And um we landed and we was like, oh shit, we're in LA. This is so dope. And they were like, yo, we don't have a rental or a hotel. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> and we really didn't have much money, so we had to get like we called it the Hojo, the Howard Johnson. I was down a block from LAX at the time. And he did a show in LA and no one knew who he was, right? I think you and I was on that show. Um, somebody else that, that ended up from that blog era. Because it was like right before, like this probably like 2008. And I remember, we didn't even have a DJ. I, I went and stood next to whoever had a CD player and be like, all right, fade out, fade out, fade out. I start playing. I play Go Track Three, and seeing him in that element was like, "Yo, this guy's gonna figure it out." Watching Cole shine on stage and grind behind the scenes convinced Eve that his friend was determined to make it. After he released his first mixtape, The Come Up, in 2007, Cole started generating buzz on the blogs, and fans began to believe it as well. The next step was pursuing a record deal. Cole's manager at the time, a gentleman named Mike Rooney, pulled some strings utilizing his personal network that would lead Cole and Hamad to the attention of former notorious big manager and Buy Storm Entertainment CEO Mark Pitts. It was Pitts who would ultimately land the duo a record deal with Jay-Z's burgeoning Rock Nation Records. So Mike Rooney, who's managing him at the time, he, um, he like... Had you know his his uncle's Corey Rooney, so he has some relationships in the industry, and he was he would get us into the studios and stuff. He um, we had like a few meetings, like we met with. First, we met with like we met with Paul Rosenberg, <laughs> that didn't work out. Uh, we met with like I think Omar was at EMI at the time. Now he's at Rock Nation. Nothing happened really there. Um, then we met with. This dude who was called Gene Ho, who worked under 50, he took us to like Connecticut to 50's crib. And now to I'm from Queens, so I'm like, he gave us an address, and I'm like, I think we're going to 50 crib. So I, at first we tell our HR hey, like, Is this yeah. like this is the Mike Tyson house? Yeah. So we like, <laughs> it was in farm Farmingdale, Connecticut, whatever. I'm like, yo, it can't be much shit in Farmingdale, Connecticut, but that motherfucking house. So I was like, so we told the HR lady, like, we gotta leave early, we got a big mission, like, I right, do whatever. Um, so we drive into Connecticut. I put the address into at the time was GPS. I forgot it was like MapQuest or something. Uh, and I was like, oh shit, it is. So now I'm like, oh, we're going to Fifty Crips. Is he gonna be there? Like, you know, I'm from Queens, so and obviously Cole's a big hip hop fan. So that was like one of the first big like Fifty wasn't there, but like Yayo was there, Shaw Money XL was there. We played 
But they took first the dude oh took us to dinner, took us to the club, gave us a bottle each, which was like unheard of for us. <laughs> we're like, what? Like we got a whole bottle. So you basically like wine and diners, you know what I mean? We're like, this is so crazy. Like he takes us back. We go to the crib and like Yayo was there. Um Shaw Money was there, a few other people. And and at the time he had like lights please, can I live? So we playing them that they're going crazy. So now we're like, yo, this is every every meeting feels a little more real. Cause some meeting, you know, some people are like, this is dope. Like, all right, cool. But these dudes are like, oh, when you said this, when you know, we was in 50's crib, they had like club in the basement or some shit. Yeah. So we're playing it through there. So Sean Money, I think, was really interested at the time. And the, but the, you know, the dude G and the whole was like, nah, like it's my shit. So we was kind of gonna do like a partnership in a sense with him, but that whatever that didn't end up waking out. But Mike Rooney was always there, and um, he knew Kirk Lightburn, which is Mark Pitts's cousin or like you know his family. Like and 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 he you know Kirk came through heard he was like man I'm gonna play this for Mark I'm gonna play this for Mark. But at this point we like we didn't heard that so much we're like ah right, whatever like yeah. and like a few months later I think he he ended up I think he said Mark Pitts was going to the bathroom. And he like snug the CD in, played lights, please. Mark was like walking away, came back, like, man, what the fuck is this? It's the kid I've been trying to tell you. He's like listening. He's like, man, you gotta tell him to come here tomorrow. Like, so Cole and Mike Rooney go up. Cause that's another thing with Cole. It's like he's going new environment around. He don't want to bring too many people. So like, right, you and Mike go. They go, they take the meeting. I'm just like at the crib, like, yo, what's happening? You know what I mean? Like at the time, it's like signing to the label was everything. And um the meeting went great. And we just ain't hear nothing back for like three months. He had another meeting. Meeting goes great. We don't hear nothing back. And now I feel like it's funny because there was it was a weird time where we started putting pressure. Like everybody around him was like, man, we need the hits so we can get signed. And, and I remember a point where he was like, we was in the studio. And again, I'm I'm still learning to play like my role in a sense. I don't want to say too much, so I'm just kind of chilling. But like saying what I need to here and there. But we were in the studio and I remember he, he was working on a song and somebody was like, man, that, that ain't gonna get a sign. That ain't and, and I seen him like snap. Like, yo, like, are y'all making this music? Like basically, like, don't tell me what to make. And I think I was a, like, you know, he, in a lot of other words, but I think I was an important <laughs> an important moment because it was like him realizing like, I'm not gonna like jeopardize who I am or what I do. To get signed, like if I'm if I'm a make a hit or something, it's gonna be on my own terms, and and it was important for me because it made it gave me an understanding of like what he wants for himself. So now now that I know what he wants for himself, I know how to maneuver around that. Like if that's not what you want for yourself, I'm not gonna force that upon you, right? So I understood. I think it gave more of an understanding, and and you know he was kind of like feeling like yo y'all are fucking up, like just in general the the idea of being signed was fucking up with his art. So he took time away. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just leave the studio alone for a bit. And that's when he went to Elite's house. And that's when he started doing those freestyles. And that's how the warm-up was basically born. Because it was like, that was what it was. It was the warm, warming up. And the whole time, we like, all right, this Mark Pace thing is, is done. But what we didn't know was Mark, I think he had to understand it. Like, all right, RCA, I think it was Jive at the time. Like, this might not be the right place for him. And Jay was starring Rock Nation. So he's the one that took it to Jay. Oh, interesting. It was Mark, and and because he had that relationship. Obviously, Mark used to manage big and nah. So he he took it to Jay, and Jay was like, I right, bring this kid over. And um, 
and so we weren't necessarily shopping the deal too crazy. Like, yeah, and we so went, all that's happening, and you guys are completely unaware. That, yeah, but what we were in North Carolina selling those CDs for a dollar, like I said, it might have been the next year. I'm not sure. Um, Cole, Cole gets a call from from Kirk Lightburn. He's like, we in the mall. I'll never forget. He's like, he's like, guess who wants to fucking meet you? And he's like, he's like, who? He's like, Jay Z. And we like, get the fuck out. We like run around the mall, like going crazy. But we didn't have a date for when the meeting was. But um, it wasn't like so. So t- I say that to say like. It wasn't heavy shopping. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like the opportunities that were coming. It wasn't like we weren't trying to like force it. We were, Cole was very like more so worried about the music. Yeah. And, and we always used to say like what kept us going is we were almost like we were so naive that we just always believed the deal was around the corner. So then Mark formally becomes the new manager yeah. around this time. So after he, after he got co-signed, it was only right. He yeah. was like, yo, did you manage me? And he was like, yeah. Have you ever had a big idea but lacked the tools to implement it? Look no further than Shopify. Shopify is the brand that powers all your favorite clothing, beauty, and sneaker brands and offers the best-in-class commerce tools to allow you to sell online, in person, and on all major social platforms. Shopify fuels millions of entrepreneurs and turns ambition into action. Check out shopify.com idea to learn more. Now back to the story. Were there moments where you guys were doubting yourself or doubting your sort of... Oh, for sure. Because there was like... I remember the All-Star Weekend in LA where it was like... We were just in a studio trying to make... He was trying to make hits. And and no lie, I was probably the most depressed he's ever been, you know, like in making music. Because it was just... He was trying to force something out of you. Like, we was just like... It just wasn't enjoyable. It, It felt like... This isn't what we signed up for. Like, this isn't like what, you know, what, what we love. But again, you know, he has a will to like figure it out. And he really just wasn't going to stop. You know, he was going through his moments where it was like, and, 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 you know, at the same time, the internet, you know, the internet, ah, J. Cole's never going to come out. Like he doesn't even have a picture with Jay-Z. They don't even know each other. You know, all the jokes. And it's like, those doubts start to creep in your head. I don't. I, I can't speak for him, but I remember times I'm like, damn, like, like, are we gonna come out? Like, you know, like, and and it's just it's tough because you don't know because you've never been in a situation, so you're kind of off trying to figure it out at the same time. And and Cole's not the type that's gonna be calling Jay every week. Like, what should I? Do? He's like, I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna prove to you. So we really just trying to figure it out on our own. You know what I mean? And 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 that was. That was tough. That was tough because, you know, the fans were waiting for the album. Not a fa- and, and, and it was that pressure of like, yo, you're the one. What's going to happen? And and it makes you, you know, start overthinking. And, of course, you start doubting yourself in those moments. And, you know, just being in the studio and Rich Kleiman was there, like, you know, giving his input. I was there giving input. Like, it was just too many. Like, they, to the point where I remember, because No ID was around that whole time. Heavy, you know, he's obviously still around and that's like our our guy forever. But at the time, like he was the first real producer we went to work with. And um 
it's probably like five beats from that month when we was working that were made for Cole that because we didn't make a hit on it, ended up being other people's like incredible songs. Like Tears of Joy, um, The Beat for Control. It was it was the sample for Control, but no idea ended up doing a little something different. Um, My Last for Big Sean. Like these are all songs that were made there and like Cole could have figured it out. No idea would take it, repurpose it, like make it obviously better than what it wasn't. But that's how that's how much we weren't able to like enjoy the music that was there because everything was like, well, is it a hit? Is it a hit? And that's just the worst feeling to have or the worst way to make art. You know what I mean? Like, so that was kind of um that was kind of a weird time. What caused the breakthrough? Uh workout. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I think that was the moment where he was like, I'm gonna figure it out. He figured it out and it was to be honest, it was, and I don't even know if I'm like supposed to be saying this, but it is what it is. There was another song that was supposed to be the first single that he just didn't feel comfortable with, Cole. But like it was a session with Sean Gary and these producers, and it was like, it just wasn't him. And like right before it was going to come out, he was like, yo, Jay, I can't do this. I really, I just can't. Like it's not, like, you know what I mean? Like it's ain't, and, and I, you know, I respect it. Jay was like, all right, like, you know, if you can't do it, like, we're not going to put it out, obviously. And um, Workout was the one that he felt more comfortable with. You know, even though to his fans, it's like, it was some backlash when it dropped because to them, it's like, they just want him to stay in that one lane. It was really what what opened the door for him to be able to, to like, take that step, but also feel like, yo, this is still me in the song and I'm not losing myself. You know, because Workout was still him. He produced it and, you know, it was a Kanye sample and, and it's just like he was in there. And and I think that was the that was really the breakthrough because one that allowed us to put out an album. I don't know if the label believed at that point. It was probably like, man, whatever, like let's just get this shit out. But it allowed us to put out an album and it allowed us to see, like, at least speaking from my from my point of view, that I never want to speak for Cole. But for me, it was like seeing the fans' reaction and it hurt, right? I'm hurt because I'm like, I'm thinking about him, I'm thinking about myself, the whole shit. But then you realize, like, oh, wait, we all right. Like, it wasn't that bad. Like, you know what I mean? And I think that that gives you, allows you to, like, a little bit more wiggle room to, um, and you break through that barrier that, that you have to do it in your little box. Once you break through that box, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it allows you to be a little more free. So I would say workout. That was just the moment for us. At what point did you and Cole start to formalize whatever business relationship you had? So when we were... In Muhammad's crib, you know what I mean? Before he even got signed, um, we were already thinking of him as like this signed artist, even though he wasn't. And we was like, yeah, man, we got we got to have our own shit. Like, Jay had Rockefeller, Diddy had Bad Boy. 50, that's all it was. Like, we got to have our shit. You know what I mean? What's our shit going to be? And, um, and that was the beginning of Dreamville, because I remember me, Cole, and RJ was in his room, and Cole was like, yo, I got it. I got the name. He's like, Dreamville. And right away, I was kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if yeah. I love it. RJ was like, that's fire. You know, RJ is Cole's best friend. And his his, uh, his expl- explanation for it was like, you know, like, from Fayetteville, City of Dreams. And it may, and I'm from New York, so it made sense to me. Like, you know, and, and it's just kind of like everything he was doing was driven by, like, dreams. Like, there was a dream to come to New York and get signed. It was He had the song Dollar in a Dream on his first mixtape and the second one. So it was like, 
it made sense. So at the time, it was that was it. It was like, all right, Dreamville, but we didn't have no artists. We didn't, we really up until up until um, after Born Center, I always joke like we was really just a merch company. Like that's all we did was sell shirts and hoodies that said Dreamville. Um, even though we had like Elite and Omen, that was that was like a part of the crew and, and making music, but nobody was signed. We didn't we didn't have anything business you know set up. Um, it wasn't until Joey was like, "Yo, you know, I want to give y'all a label deal." And I was after Born Center before Force Hill Drive, where I felt like it became real. Um, because then that's when Cole was like, "Well, if, if we're gonna do a label deal, like Eve's really the one that's gonna be you know running it because because." We're partners, and he kind of like, in a sense, you know, Dreamville was always something that I was hands on with every day. Um, so even then, I wasn't even management. I had A and R, you know, his albums, his mixtapes. I, I was basically like day to day manager, but okay. without the title. But I didn't. I never cared about a title. It, well, you know what I mean? Like it didn't mean anything to me. To me, it was like, is the work getting done? How do we get the work done? So, so at that point, it was like. People thought I was a manager because I was always around. I was booking after parties. I was on the road. I was DJing at one point for him, even though I never knew how to DJ. But we didn't have a DJ, you know, until we got a band. Um, so I was kind of like doing a little bit of everything and through doing a little bit of everything. I, he made sure I was good financially, made sure like, you know, I was I was eating everything. Uh, Dreamville, when we did the label deal, was the first time it was like a real business paperwork, you know what I mean? Percentage of the company. And I was, we did that deal December 2013, the first Interscope deal. We announced it on his birthday 2014 at um at the Garden Theater, which was a show we brought out Jay and Kendrick. And we had like put Revenge of the Dreamers 1, which was a mixtape at the time, in every single seat, which was mad annoying because I had to yeah. run around like a couple of us literally stuffed them shits in seats. It was 5,000, 5,500 seats. It's the dumbest shit. We should have just hired someone. But uh, <laughs> uh, doing that and, and a little paper that said like Dreamville, you know, Interscope and like, you know, started with a dream and Muhammad Crib and and announcing Boss as our like first person we had signed. And um, that's when I felt like it became like a real business. It wasn't until later that year, midway through 2014, when we were like, Heavy working on 2014 Four Cell Drive, where it was like, okay, you're gonna become my manager. You know what I mean? And so, so during that that five years though, leading up to sort of things becoming mm-hmm. formalized around Dreamville as an entity, how are your ambitions sort of evolving in your own head? Like, what do you do? You have a plan for where where Eve's gonna be? You know, it's funny. I like I said, like I'm I'm one of five, right? Kids, so it's like I feel like my whole life. I never really thought about, not that I didn't think about myself, but I was always, always thinking about everyone else around me. You know what I mean? Like that was just naturally how I was. I want to make sure my brother's good here. I want to make sure my sister's good. I want to make sure my friends are good. Like, you know, and, and I feel like my, my win was seeing Cole win. You know what I mean? That, that, that's what it was to me. Like, yo, I know what I did. I know what I contributed to this. The world, like if the world knows cool, if the world doesn't, then I don't give a fuck. Like, you know what I mean? Like I know what I did. So I never had a, a big plan. My only plan was like, I knew I wanted Cole to reach where he wanted to reach and like really get the 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 respect that he wanted and 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 you know the career that, that I believe he 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 deserved. I think I think that was one thing. 
And then it was Dreamville. Like, I didn't know what it was going to be yet, but I knew, like, yo, this Dreamville thing could be a thing. Like, maybe we could find our own artist, blah, blah, blah. So during those five years, it was it was the understanding that we got to do whatever to get cold to a certain level. Then we can start thinking about other things, you know what I mean? And, and how to expand those other things. So... Of course, I was I was more so learning in the, in those years and figuring out where I really belong. I feel like every year was I was figuring something else out, you know, tapping into something else and and understanding something else. But it wasn't like I didn't I, I wasn't like I'm gonna be this next executive. I'm gonna be this big mogul. It's more like all right, let me just see this through. You know what I mean? Which we're still seeing it through. It's not like it ends, but like make sure he gets to a certain place. Then let me start thinking about this Dreamville thing. But it was never it was never about me. It was more about like how can we keep pushing this thing that we're building together. After the back-to-back commercial successes of Cole World and Born Sinner, Hamad and Cole found themselves at a bit of a crossroads in 2014. The duo felt secure in their understanding of what Cole's fans wanted and their ability to provide that experience, a feeling shared by Interscope exec Joey Manda who helped the two establish Dreamville Records. However, despite their ambitions to grow the brand, Cole himself had lost his appetite for the pageantry of the music industry. Appreciating his friend's conviction, Hamad supported Cole's rejection of convention and took advantage of the opportunity to step up his role and help his friend redefine what a pop star could look like. Well, in that moment of inflection, you also get sort of elevated from being you know, his right-hand guy mm-hmm. to his formerly his manager. Yep. Was that part of his sort of shift and reprioritizing things? Yeah, I think, because because one thing is like, obviously, I manage Cole, but Cole is so hands-on with his career. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think he was already feeling like he was being more hands-on on every decision on his career. And he would kind of like consult with me on everything. You know what I mean? Or if something would come my way, I would go to him. Be like, what do we think? And and it was kind of like, wait, we're already doing this. You know what I mean? And uh, and we learned a lot from Mark and Wayne Barrow and like the whole, you know, by Storm family. So it's kind of like we had the tools now and we knew we wanted to do it a certain way. So those years of seeing all those shifts and understanding how to get a song on radio and seeing songs, shit go from CDs to iTunes to by the time we got to force a drop, Spotify was out. All those things was me learning during that period and, and him learning himself to when we got to like towards four so drive with like, right, we can do this. You know what I mean? We really could do this. We have the tools. I have more confidence in, in what I brought to the table. I have more confidence to like push him past, you know, his like his comfort zone on certain things or or call him out where it needs to be called out. And obviously he he will call me out, you know what I mean, which I think always made me better at my job. So I think that's when I feel like we were like pretty confident that we can do that. Was Mark receptive to that conversation and that, and that change? Yeah, I think I, the, him and Mark still have an incredible relationship. You know what I mean? They talk, Mark was always like a big brother to him. So even after that, but I think Mark knew like, yo, you're taking matters into your own hand. You're taking your career into your own hand. You know what I mean? Uh, around that time was, we were going to renegotiate his deal and everything. You know what I mean? Like he, he, um, he kind of played his hand where after Forest Hill Drive, he I don't want to say clean house, but mm-hmm. he made just a lot of business decisions and a lot of business changes on the touring side, on on the legal side, 
on the label side, on the management side, the only really people that stayed from that era was Rob Gibbs, which is our booking agent, who's been with us from the beginning all the way till now, which one of the booking agents, more like family at this point. And Elijah, who's a security, who came through Mark. You know, these people came through Mark, but the relationship we built with them on our own was so good. And it was such a big part of like, you know, what we what we did that those people stuck around and still here till today. For the most part, a lot of other people kind of was like, wait, I didn't choose you. You know what I mean? So it's my time to make these decisions. And um, I think it was just a moment of him kind of taking taking the power back, whether it was through the music and not feeling like I have to do what the Internet is telling me or what the label is telling me or whether it was through, you know, his management, whatever. It just feeling like he took that power back at that moment. How, how was that for you? Like for me, it this was, was a, this is a huge change in for sure. responsibility and for sure. Uh, for me, it was it was like it was a big moment because I was like, ah, he trusts me enough to do that. He trusts me enough to make that change. He also trusts himself. You know what I mean? It wasn't like Cole's never gonna be like, hey, do like something now more than ever. He'll mm. be like, yo, yeah, just do what you do. I'll just show up. Like that never used to be the mm. case because now I feel like there's more trust between us on certain things. But at the time, it was like. That was big for me because like, damn, like you, you're, this was right before Force Hill Drive. You're going into your most important album. You're at the peak of your career and you're trusting me to kind of handle, a, you know, a very important part of your career in your life, really. You know what I mean? And to me, that 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 spoke volumes because it's like, all right, now you you have to deliver and at the same time, I knew I didn't know a lot. I didn't know enough. So when he would call me out on certain things, that was a mistake. I used that as a learning moment. Like, you know, I used that as like, all right, cool. Can't do that again. You know what I mean? He's, it's like, he, you, he's giving you leeway to learn. Like, I got to learn on the job, really. You know what I mean? Which a lot of people don't get to. Uh, but also, because I didn't have prior experience in the industry, I was just moving off my my heart and my passion more than like the book or more than what people were telling me to move. You know what I mean? And, and that was, that was my strength. In that moment, you guys start to really pursue putting together Dreamville as a label. Um, I imagine that there was many suitors that were trying to sign you guys. What made you go with Joey? It was was really two. Okay. Um, Which was Interscope and Atlantic. And what made us go with Joey was, First, he was the first one to reach out. And he was the one that was, he got it. You know, he got it the most out of anyone. You know what I mean? He really got it. He was, he seen the vision. He was like, yo, I want you to come and be Dr. Dre. You know what I mean? Like, be able to bring these artists in. You're, you are a producer. Be able to, you know, you know, as, as an ear, be able to um, elevate these artists that you, that you like. And I want to give you out the freedom to do what you do. And I think, the reason we ended up going with that is because I felt like if we went to Atlantic or somewhere else, there was there was going to be a pressure to like pump out hits. Mm-hmm. And, and the understanding we had with Joey is like he understood we were more interested in building our careers and like longevity for an artist, which is harder and it takes longer. And it's and it's not as lucrative right away. You know what I mean? And I think the fact that I knew Joey was going to allow us to do that. And then the relationship I ended up building with Joey, that was the comfort. Like, all right, cool. I can go to this guy. He can tell me sometimes, like, yo, I don't think that's the right move. And because I trust him, I'm going to listen to that. 
But a lot of times he might be like, that's how you feel and you're, you're sure about this. I'm going to support you. And that's all you really want is somebody that's going to support you, especially the way we were doing things, because we were coming from an idea that we want artists to be themselves. We want artists to put out what they want to put out. And then we take that, whether it's musically or marketing wise, and see how can we help it reach a mainstream. You know, sometimes it won't, sometimes it will. But OK, you got this song. Maybe if we add these little elements, it still feels like you. But then, you know, it does this. Um, and, and I think Interscope and Joey really just that, that gave us the best opportunity. And then once we got there during the first deal, just building that relationship with the people in the building and understanding like, oh, whether it was Laura, whether it was Tim, whether it was Nicole, like all these people that, you know, and obviously Janet and all these people that, that were working our, our um, you know, our projects, it was just an understanding like, all right, we're aligned. You know what I mean? They believe in a brand and they know it's a long-term thing. And to me, that was the important part. It's like, this is a long-term thing. I don't want someone that's going to be like, hey, man, you got you got two years to pump out hits or so I didn't want that and Cole didn't want that and Joey wasn't doing that, so. After going through the ringer of the music industry before finding success on their own terms, Cole and Eve finally had a chance to build out Dreamville. Drawing from Cole's misadventures and Eve's ear for music, they focused on accumulating and developing new talent. What do you look for when you are looking at an artist for, for Dreamville? Um, it's, it's weird because it's not a specific thing that you can like pinpoint. It's not like I look for writing skills or I look for the best rapper voice. I really just look for connectivity. Like something that I just feel, like that I'm like, oh, like the first time um, Matt bought us, played his cars, first line I heard was, always had dreams of being rich, huh? The Cove first heard it. I woke up, like, Yo, you gotta hear this. You know, mama never thought I'd make it this way. It just felt so real. Just his voice and the way he said it, you felt like, damn, I feel that. And then when you go and listen to his other stuff, you're like, yes, where you're, you're in a sense, one of us. Like where that I can connect with you and then I got to trust that if I can connect with you, then I trust that the people that follow Dreamville are going to connect with this too. Now, some of them might not, some of them might. It's going to differ every time, but that's just what I look for. You know what I mean? Like there was, there's a certain, there's a certain element of reality in all of our artists and music. You know what I mean? There's a certain um, level of like, just there's, there's always something authentic there that to me is what, what I connect to. And and then you try to take that and 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 you know do get them to a point where it can get the mainstream success that they want, hopefully, but also still feel like they're them. And as they're growing, the fans are growing with them. You know, Ari. First time I heard Ari, I was like, I haven't heard something like this. You know what I mean? Like it's just a different approach to something I love already. You know, it was like this soulful element, but she approached it in a newer way. And then it was like allowing her to. And then, but then I connected with the fact that it was like, it felt like I was listening to my homegirl from back home or like, you know, a girl that I can relate to, like growing up in the same environments or growing up telling the same stories, like from her point of view of a dude or my point of view of a woman. Like it was just like, it was just a, a connection or stories that visually you see and you recognize, you know what I mean? So it's just a connectivity. Like a, it's, it's, 
it pulls at an emotion, I guess, is, is what I look for, whether it's a happy feeling or a sad feeling or feeling of like comfort, like or like I look for something that's going to pull at that. And and I feel like with every artist, I can remember the song that made me feel like we need to sign them. You know what I mean? When you think about sort of the goals that you and, and Cole had for the label at the outset, and you look at what you've done in the last five, six years, mm-hmm. how how close do you think you've come to honoring that original? I think we're I think we're we're there. We're just expanding what, what that was, what that idea was. You know, initially it was just like a rap crew, you know what I mean? But then it became an outlet for artists to be able to be themselves. And in a sense, you know, make the music they want to make and us taking it and seeing how we can make it better and how we can roll it out better and how we can, you know, fund it better than they could have, right, in a sense. Um, but now I feel like where we at is is the understanding that you can tell these same stories. Because I think at the core of Dreamville is we're storytellers. We're storytellers that tell stories that connect with everyday people, that connect with people, you know what I mean? So I think what I where we are now is understanding like, oh, we can tell these stories through different avenues, whether it's through, you know, the dreamer sneakers and explaining that campaign of like why we're doing this. It's, it's always a why you're doing mm-hmm. something. You know, like Cole doesn't do anything just to do it. Neither does Jed, neither does Ari, neither does Bob, all the way down. The line. Definitely our brand Dreamville doesn't do anything just to do it. So then it's like, why are we doing it? It's because there's an opportunity to tell these stories. So now we, Dreamville Studios and we bring Damien through and we bring Candace through and we bring these people through to help tell the stories in different ways, whether it's through merch, whether it's through um, documentaries, whether it's through a podcast that we did, you know, with Spotify. It's like now it's like, oh, we can still tell these stories that feel authentic to us. And we're not going to we're going to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone, but we're not going to stray from who we are. And now we can do it in different ways, just beyond just music. But music is still the most important core of it. Without the music, everything else is just going to fall apart. What is success? I used to think it was like this number one spot or or the amount of, you know, maybe the amount of money, but really it's like feeling good and fulfilled with the work that you're putting out there and feeling like you can stand behind it and knowing that like you know, you really believe in that. And then and then seeing it connect with people. If it doesn't connect, then you're not gonna feel like it was successful. But if something connects with people and it and, and people get it and people like really feel it and, and and you feel good about it, that's really success. Thanks for tuning in to the Idea Generation Podcast featuring Ibrahim Hamad. We hope this episode brought you some insights on how to best elevate your career as a young creative. Remember, integrity is the most rewarding path to success. And thanks to our partners at Shopify for making this happen. Check out their services at shopify.com ideas.